Four-star wide receiver Kyler Casper is coming to the Ducks and Dan Lanning, and the spring game is finally upon us this week. What's the number one thing we should be looking for? What's the most intriguing thing of which there are many aspects of the game this Saturday back at Autzen Stadium? We get to that today on Locked on Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked on Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team... Every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view on YouTube every day. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks every single weekday. We are coming at you while we're in season here at the Locked On Network. Remember to like and subscribe wherever you are listening to and or watching the show. Leave a five-star review. Nice comments. We like those. If you want a question, answer on the show. DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked On Ducks. You can also tweet with the hashtag AskLODPod. So the Ducks got another commit, this time a playmaker on the perimeter by the way of a guy by the name of Kyler Casper. This was a name that Duck fans were following a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit more in the background than I'd say Josh Connerly, but like Connerly, the Ducks were not seen as the top option for for this guy, and they end up landing him. And he's, you know, class of 2023 wide receiver, and he's 100% staying in the class of 2023, except for the part where he's totally not. He's reclassifying to the class of 2022. I got to keep you on your toes, guys. I really do. He's reclassifying to the class of 2022 in the class of 2023. He was a top 20 receiver and a top 130 player nationally. He's from Gilbert, Arizona. So after Oregon missed out on T-Mac, a big-time wide receiver from the state of Arizona who ended up going to the University of Arizona and joining the Wildcats and Jed Fish and what they're, you know, for the sake of Arizona fans, building down there with their program, Oregon gets a win here. And there were a couple other schools that were looking at, and we'll get to that in a sec. But key takeaways, number one, first and foremost, this is a guy who has the physical traits to be a number one outside wide receiver and he is 6'5 195 pounds maybe needs to bulk up a little bit and when we think of tall wide receivers who need to bulk up we as duck fans right now are thinking of two guys the skinnies as they are known a lot of duck fans want to unleash the skinnies troy franklin dante thornton who are pretty tall 6'2 and 6'4 and a half respectively neither one is um shall we say even close to being overweight they might be closer in the other direction from a football perspective but I think that, you know, this is a guy, at, as I said, 6'5", 195 pounds. If he bulks up a little bit, he has the potential to be a real force. And he can be anyway, right? He's got the physical tools. I mean, that's a that's a big, big body. And, you know, over the years, I'd say Oregon has not had a lot of, you know, sort of prototypical what you'd call wide receiver ones or, you know, guys you line up on the outside and throw jump balls to. I think Juwan Johnson was that. A little for a season, but we didn't throw the ball, you know, down the field or to him on any back shoulder throws at the rate that I would have liked Marcus Royo to have done at the time. Devin Williams, the last couple of years, I think had that potential, but again, because of some quarterback limitations and maybe some stylistic choices from the coaching staff on offense, we didn't do that to the fullest extent. That's one thing that I'm excited about to see with 
this offense under Kenny Dillingham is whether or not they will just take some more downfield shots. And this guy has got a big body and he can be that sort of player on the outside. He can be a number one who's got the size and speed to run the whole route tree, but take the top off the defense, win some 50, 50 balls and make explosive plays in the passing game. So I think you get Kyler Casper in the weight room. He can be a really big time receiver. The, the likes of which Oregon just hasn't really seen. You know, Darren Carrington was eh, sort of that. And Dylan Mitchell, he was a number one receiver. He was our number one receiver. But I think he operated best when he was working in the slot. He, he didn't have the the size that, that Casper has. And when you watch Casper's highlight reel, a couple things stand out. They're, they're really, really good. Number one, he's got soft hands and amazing ball skills. His sense of awareness, football IQ, and timing when the ball is in the air and coming his way for a 50-50 ball, it's really, really good. That That's the first thing that stood out to me is the way that he tracks the ball. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know this for sure. I know he plays basketball, but I don't know if he's played any on the other side of the ball. He looks like a safety the way that he just follows the ball times his jump correctly, and he's so big that guys are just going to have a tough time unless they're also big-bodied corners catching 50-50 jump balls in the air because he's really good at high-pointing the ball, catching it at its peak, and using his size and, as I mentioned, those really, really soft hands. And I mentioned that he that he plays basketball, too. Uh, he can do a between-the-legs dunk, and that tells you the sort of athlete that he is. He's not just tall, but he's got the explosion because there's this one – I haven't seen uh, an extensive amount of his basketball reels and whatnot, but I've seen him throw down a between the legs dunk. And th- this dude is an athlete, a big time athlete. And this is a great addition to to the Oregon offense. And he's, again, reclassifying the class of 2022. So he should join the Ducks probably, I would imagine, sometime in the summer. And, you know, who knows how much we'll see him this year, but injuries, transfers, you never know. And so I like how I like having depth there. I'll get to that in a second. But I think maybe my favorite part about him. Everybody puts together their highlight reels. And as an offensive player, you're showcasing the moments when you have the ball, right? You're a running back. You're going to show your big explosive runs when you make guys miss in space. When you're a quarterback, you're showing completed passes, tight end, catching the ball, maybe blocking a little bit more. I've watched a fair number of wide receivers put together highlight reels that they want everybody to see to help evaluate them. Not a lot put blocking on the tape. Some certainly do, but they are few and far between. And he made a concerted effort early in his highlight reel that I found on YouTube. It was about eight minutes long. Within the first minute, you'd seen several caught passes. You had seen several blocking sequences as well. And he has the mindset of a guy who wants to block on the edge. I think some wide receivers are you know, big bodied, but I haven't seen from, from Franklin or Thornton, probably because they haven't gotten the ne- the necessary snaps to maybe be able to demonstrate this, but I wouldn't say that they're tenacious on the edge or that that's kind of their calling card when it comes to blocking in the run game, which is absolutely crucial. And those of you who've been with me for a while, I thank you for doing that. Number one, number two, you know, my favorite Oregon receiver of all time is Jeff Mail, and Jeff Mail was a great blocker. And that was really key in helping Oregon's run game spring guys like Kenyon Barner and DeAnthony Thomas and Michael James open. I don't think Mail and DeAnthony had any crossover now that I think about it before you hop in the YouTube comments to correct me. But you know, you can do that anyway. So when I when I watch him put these blocking highlight reels on there, I love it. I think it says a lot about his attitude 
and his willingness to do that because it's an underrated part of being a receiver. You have to be able to do that. And I think for the last several years, the best guy Oregon has had blocking on the perimeter has been JJ three. Johnny Johnson, the third was absolutely ferocious out there. He would pile drive guys into the ground. And in order to do that, you don't have to just be, you know, a, a big enough guy, but that that's a mindset sort of thing, especially as a pass catcher that we think of as being a finesse position, you know, and it requires a lot of skill and it's not super physical and all this sort of stuff. That's not the way that Casper is at least wanting to portray himself. Now it'll be a leap going from high school to college because he's not bigger than all the guys, but he is come down and he's capable of cracking back on, on linebackers. Again, something JJ three did a lot this past season and Joe Morad's offense when they would run that outside veer option with Travis Dye or Byron Cardwell. That's something that is really invaluable to an offensive coordinator to have. And I think that that's, you know, really encouraging. I'm not trying to downplay his his wide receiver skills because he has those as well. I think he can be a little bit sharper running his routes and just, you know, a touch crisper coming out of them to help create separation. But when he runs, he runs easily, man. He, he runs so easily. It's just, He's got these big, long strides. Remember, he's six foot five, knows how to use them, and he's running fast, but it doesn't look like he's running very hard, you know, compared to a guy like Justice Lowe. And I think Lowe shows some uh, promise when, when you watch his, his tape as well. But I definitely like Casper more than Justice Lowe, especially when it comes to having an impact earlier in their careers. I just think Casper has a few more physical traits, and he just doesn't look like he has to work as hard to get up to top speed, and I think that that's overall a good thing. There are a couple other things that I like about this commitment for Dan Landing and the Ducks, but first I want to tell you about Bill Barr. Look, you've probably given up on your New Year's resolutions. I mean, that was a while ago, so no one's sticking to them now. But if you had them back then and you were thinking to yourself, boy, I'd really love to eat healthier, Bill Barr's are the way to go. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, 17 grams of protein. You know, I have them in my golf bag, duck fans. I showed them to my dad over the weekend. He was a fan as well. And you will be too. Go to built.com use promo code lock 15 for 15% off your order. That's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. The other reason this is a nice win for Dan Lanning and the staff, there's two reasons. One, I think you're adding depth to a position where suddenly after uh, the departures that that Oregon had last year, right, with Devin Williams, Johnny Johnson III, Jalen Red, right, it's sort of a thin room. It, thin room. It's been a question mark coming into the year. It's why you added a guy like Chase Coder, why you like seeing Justice Lowe get in there as well and seeing other guys healthy like Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin. And we'll do a, a full preview of the wide receiver room this week as, as we get into the spring game. But I, I just think that we were adding depth at this position for a reason. So I think adding more is perfectly fine. I'm always a fan of bringing in more talented guys. And if they end up beating up or beating out, I should say, another guy who we might have had our eye on as being talented because he's better. That's OK. That means that the cream is rising to the crop and maybe another guy will leave the program. I do not know for sure, but this is a guy who has the potential to come in, maybe make an impact as a freshman. I think it depends on how quickly he can bulk up and, and learn the offense. But, you know, he actually weighs more right now than Troy Franklin or Dante Thornton. So he, he does already have the physical traits to be there. I just think if he's going to reach his full potential, I think he needs to, you know, maybe put on a few pounds and get in the weight room a little bit. But that's something that you expect, uh, especially at Oregon that's got great facilities and is very much all in on that on that sort of stuff. So I'm encouraged about that. And, you know, him reclassifying the class of 2022, 
that just means he's here. He's here sooner, right? Rather than talking about him now and then revisiting later of like, oh, he'll be on campus next. No, he wants to come to Oregon now. And so I think that does speak to his the readiness of his body to to adjust to the college game at this point in time. But just for reference, Devin Williams, who you know I think was kind of close to a wide receiver one, we just didn't get him the ball enough to be that. And I think that, you know, he actually has the chance, Casper does, to be better than Devin Williams, who was a really nice player the last couple of years. But Williams was 6'4", 210 pounds. And right now, Casper is 6'5", 195. So you put on another 10, 15, you start to resemble that body, and you can be the sort of guy that you throw fades to in the end zone, which Oregon has never done a lot. Or you throw 50-50 balls over the top, which Kenny Dillingham has said he wants to do. Or you throw back shoulder balls down the sideline, which we could have done a lot more with Herbert and Juwan Johnson. I mean, Juwan Johnson's playing tight end now in, in the NFL. Hashtag Pro Ducks, of course. But I think that that's something Oregon can utilize more, and this is a guy who could certainly be doing it. And, and the last reason that this is a big piece of news for the Ducks is it's another win on the recruiting trail, right? There was a little bit of a lull, missed out on Nico, missed out on this guy, missed out on Agude, yada, yada, yada. Boom. Josh Connerly last week, now Kyler Casper this week. And he chose, speaking of Nico, he chose Casper did Oregon over Tennessee. That was the school that was actually expected to get him. So the uh, the experts lately who you know, had uh, Connerly going to USC. Kind of 0 for 2 on the last couple of guys who the Ducks were going to just miss out on, and yet here he is coming to Oregon. But both Arizona schools, ASU and the Wildcats, they were in the mix. Cal was also in on him, but ultimately Oregon was able to prevail. And so, you know, beating the beating the Arizona schools, beating Cal for him, that's something I expect Oregon to be able to do, really regardless of whoever the staff is. But being out of school like Tennessee that has got an offensive-minded head coach and wants to score a lot of points, I think that's a good sign for a defensive head coach in Dan Lanning. So the spring game is this weekend. And by the way, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I've read that there will be uh, some honorary coaches there with some awesome, awesome names, blasts from the past, if you will, who were explosive during their times or during their respective times with the Ducks. Uh, D'Anthony Thomas, I believe, is going to be there. Haloti Nada, Eric Armstead, LaMichael James. Just, you know, some names that we might recognize, remember here and there, might trigger a few uh, positive memories. Just, uh, you know, just thought I might throw it out there. And through this week, throughout this week, leading up to the spring game, not today because there's just, you know, a couple of other things going on, but leading up to the spring game, we'll be looking at, you know, sort of a positional preview to, to look at each group and kind of what to expect from them in, in the spring game and, you know, how that, how that all might play out. Um, speaking of the spring game, if you have any questions about it and you want to answer it here on the show by yours truly for all the world to hear, tweet with the hashtag AskLEDPod or you can DM me at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Those are the Twitter handles where the DMs are wide open. So there's a lot to talk about leading up to the spring game this week. And we haven't done you know a ton on it, I would say, thus far, because there have been recruiting trails, uh, recruiting trail news stories, and you know just all, all sorts of stuff happening with the program and transfers and practice rate, yada, yada, yada. So now we're getting into the spring game. And I asked myself, you know, what is kind of the number one thing to look for? Like, like of all the positions, of all the players, all the headlines that we've seen recently, what's the number one thing that we should look for 
in the spring game. And I'll tell you what it is after I tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball. Bet Online, your continued source for sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. The number one thing that I'm looking for in the spring game that I'm most excited to see that I think is the single biggest question mark for Oregon football as we enter spring football here is very, very simple. And it's the offense. It is the offense. And, you know, I'm just I'm so stoked for this game. It's the most excited I've been for an Oregon spring game. You know, I've watched them here and there over the years, but usually a lot of stuff is set. The last time I can remember being this excited about one was 2012 when this redshirt freshman named Marcus Mariota, who, you know, forced Darren Thomas, a two-year starter who won a Rose Bowl, got to a national championship, forced him to leave the program because he was so good. He was kind of battling it out with Brian Bennett. And then all of a sudden, Marcus was a starter. The rest is history. But I, I think the offense is the number one thing because Kenny Dillingham has been an offensive coordinator before, right? It's not like this is a position coach who's been, you know, running backs here, wide receivers there, quarterbacks there, and now he's gotten the role as OC. He's been an offensive coordinator before. But in 2019, it was mostly Gus Malzahn's offense, right? And then the last couple of years with Mike Norvell, that's an offensive-minded head coach. So he was, I believe, the one calling the plays as well. And when you have a head coach who comes from the offensive side of the ball rather than defense or special teams background is going to take sort of a CEO role, the offensive-minded head coaches are going to you know, have their fingerprints on the offense. And that's exactly what you'd expect, right? Because that's what they're essentially being paid to do, to be the head coach. But also they were probably hired because of you know the school thinking that they had some offensive capability as a coach and maybe even as a play caller. So I want to see things like how does he want to use these quarterbacks with their with their physical gifts, right? Bo Nix is a tremendously talented guy from a physical standpoint. He's big, got a strong arm. He is supremely mobile. Does he want to use him differently than Gus Malzahn did? Because that was you know mostly Malzahn's offense at Auburn and Bo Nix's freshman year. Then he goes to FSU, where I think he's probably more involved in the offense with Norvell than, than he was back at Auburn. You know, the indication I've gotten from talking to Auburn people is it was, you know, Dillingham was a little bit more of a background guy rather than being front and center. I think he was more involved, but still not in complete control while he was at Florida State with, with Mike Norvell, and he wasn't calling plays there. So now, with a defensive-minded head coach, he's got a completely blank canvas. It's not like... Junior Adams or Carlos Lachlan, the wide receiver and running backs coaches, have been play callers before who are going to be, you know, heavily influencing the the scheme and the game. I mean, obviously they will, but I'm just saying from a play calling perspective and, you know, uh, an approach and a, a mindset of how the offense is going to look. We don't really know. You can look at, you know, past film from Dillingham when he was at Memphis or Florida State. Or, or Auburn and maybe have an inclination of it. But this is the first time where he's just going to be handed the reins to the offense and he's not going to have another coach over him who comes from that side of the ball that's going to you know, want to have his fingerprints all over it, right? Or have as much influence. And so that's why I'm most intrigued to see the offense. Like, are we going to see that many under center formations? 
He's talked about these 1v1 matchups as well. How are those going to materialize? Like these are all sorts of things that we'll get glimpses of in the spring game. And ultimately we will have to see, you know, what it looks like on game day in the fall, because maybe they see some things over the summer and make some tweaks and changes and want to, you know, change this and change that. But I, I just think that that's the biggest question mark, right? Of which there are several. Which receivers are going to be starting? Are the running backs going to play out the way that we think? Are, you know, any defensive ends going to emerge as high-level pass rushers? What are the running backs or the linebackers look like? There's a bunch of the secondary, right? There's a lot of questions, but to me, the number one thing that stands out above the rest is how does Dillingham want the offense to look in his vision? Because this is really the first time that we're going to get a look at that. So, I think it's a fascinating, fascinating thing to look at this week for Duck fans and to be thinking about going into the spring game. That's why I started it on, uh, started you with it here on this is Monday's episode of the show. Last note for today, not as exciting, but want to keep you in the loop. I tell you, this is number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks, which is very true because I'm always staying in tune to the news and the latest happenings. After the first scrimmage, Oregon's had a couple in spring practices. After the first scrimmage, Dante Manning left with what appeared to be a serious injury early on, but then as time progressed, it became apparent that that was not as serious as a lot of people were originally worried about. So it's not expected to be super serious, but we should also not plan on seeing him this Saturday in, in the spring game because he's just, you know, there's no reason to rush him back. Oregon is still going to have time to figure out the DB room. And I imagine he and Gonzalez are the top two guys right now. And they're probably the most talented and gifted and, frankly experience of the corners that that Oregon's got there so we probably won't see him and it's because of an injury but it's not expected to be serious or hold him out in the long term so uh not not the most uplifting it but overall I think we're going to be uh, just fine in, in that regard in that department with regards to Dante Manning I appreciate everyone listening have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks